It's nearly a year since two high school students and their outdoor instructor drowned off New Plymouth's Paritutu Rock. But this Radio New Zealand Insight asks, have any lessons been learnt from the tragedy or any changes made to outdoor education? Andrew Ross was in charge of the search and rescue operation when the school trip led by an outdoor pursuit centre went horribly wrong on August the 8th last year. On the beach at the base of Paritutu Rock, where the students began their traverse, he recalls the conditions. Initially on the day, apparently it wasn't too bad, but it, the sea rose really quickly on that morning. And when I jumped in the car to actually come go up to civil defence and looked out at the sea from where we are on Dawson Street, I'm like, oh... It was pretty rough. So were you surprised that there were... Yeah, I was. Yeah, that's what I was sort of... My initial comment was, really? There's people they're doing that today? Because <laughs> I've done that traverse around the bottom of the year and um, you wouldn't want to be doing it on a, on a bad day, that's for sure. Large waves swept Spotswood College students Stephen Kahukakagere and Brazilian exchange student Philippe Milo off a sea cliff during a climbing activity on the last day of a three-day school camp. Their instructor Bryce Jourdain from the Taranaki Outdoor Pursuits and Education Centre, or TOPEC, also drowned trying to help them. It was the fourth multiple fatality on an outdoor education trip since 2000. Bruce Giddy, the father of Stephen, says the outdoor centre's cowboyish attitude meant a whole lot of mistakes were made. TOPEC was known as one of the better sort of outdoor education providers that we have, and this mistake is an absolute mess. Once you see it, you'll see there are so many places they could have stopped and prevented this from happening. And if this is one of our best, then we've got a serious problem out there. Only four years earlier, eight people lost their lives on a Mangatapopal Gorge canyoning trip run by the Sir Edmund Hillary Outdoor Pursuit Centre in conditions they shouldn't have been out in. I'm Juliette Larkin, and this insight looks at safety changes that have or are being made in the wake of these tragedies, and whether it's time to rethink the focus of outdoor education programs. I, along with thousands of school students and outdoor enthusiasts, have done the Grade 12 Paratutu Rock Traverse, suitable for beginners, since it was developed more than 20 years ago. I recently went to do it again. We've come up about 10 metres up from the beach, climbed up on Belay, and we can get a view further around the corner. Uh, not going any further today because the conditions are slightly marginal. Forecast this morning said that the swell was easing and then two hours later had totally changed, which unfortunately was similar perhaps to the conditions where this tragedy unfolded this time last year. The general forecast on August the 8th last year wasn't good. Northland to Taranaki, including Coromandel, Bay of Plenty, Taupo, Taumaranui, showers, some heavy and thundery with hail near the coast. That day the swell rose fast, peaking at more than four metres, and combined with an incoming tide proved fatal. Andy Cronin, who was at the end of the helicopter winch plucking students to safety, describes the waves as substantial. It was big waves with quite a strong push in behind them. They really had a lot of force in behind them, so they were just really big amounts of water moving in, which isn't unusual on our coast. We live on a high-energy coastline, so it's not unusual to get waves of that size. It does happen time to time. Mike Boys is an associate professor in outdoor education at Otago University who helped set up Topic when he taught in Taranaki in the mid-80s. 
He says most of the time the traverse is a safe activity. Nine times out of ten, probably 95 times out of 100, that activity is a very safe activity. And anyone with a sea calm or even you know, restless but not, not dangerous, um, anyone looking at that activity would say, uh, yeah, that's, um, that's fine, I'm quite happy for my, my son or daughter to do that. But if you saw it when the sea was high and, and, and rocking in with two metre waves, you'd think, my God, we're not going here. So when you hit that particular environmental place, that's probably the only time you can make decisions on the spot about safety. Now that creates huge problems for planners when you're writing your safety management plan to cover all the eventualities that can take place in these environments. Near the end of the two-hour trip, Stephen Kahukakagere was about to clip into a safety line when a large wave swept him off the rock face. A wave then caught Philippe Milo and another student, who incredibly managed to clamber back up the rocks. Bryce Jourdain went to help and either jumped in or was also dragged in by a wave. Bruce Gede says they should never have been out there. If people think that it was a freak of nature that caused it, they're completely wrong. It was predicted four days prior to this, uh, to that day, that there will be a heavy swell coming through, and their procedures sort of been, should have been able to pick up that there was going to be rough weather that day. The activity was a backup plan after a dam dropping activity and rafting had been cancelled because rivers were too high. Eight of the group were international exchange students, and for many it was their first rock climbing experience. Mr Getty, who works in the oil and gas industry, says the students should have been taught more beforehand. They may have had an hour 15 practice on a rock wall and that's the only experience they had. And I believe that was partially signed off that the kids had done it. Now we've done sort of harness courses out here to go onto the oil industry's sites and that, and they're at least an eight hour course, sometimes a 16 hour course. So, so one, one hour for 11 kids, it only, only really is about half an hour for each child. Andrew Ross says the rescue was the toughest he's done in 20 years. We had three people in the water. We had, I think it was 11 still on the rock, who were um, getting a bit scared because they'd seen three people go into the water and they knew it wasn't looking good. And they were trying to climb up the rock. And it's quite crumbly, so the higher you go, the more dangerous and steeper as well. So my initial thought was three people in the water that we need to try and find them. So task the helicopter to do that. Also keeping an eye out of all the police that were here because there's a lot of frontline police staff that were clambering around on the breakwater and that was there was a photo in the paper afterwards of a guy just been getting swallowed by a swell. So that was another concern for me. Philippe Melo's body was recovered after two weeks, but the bodies of Stephen Kahukakagiri and Bryce Jourdain have never been found and the search was called off after 21 days. Paratutu Rock is still not being climbed by school groups and Mr Ross believes a lot would need to be changed before they would return. I don't know whether it would just involve maybe an extra safety person every time you go out that's, that's watching, like a safety watch, just to make sure that everyone's adhering to what they should be doing and maybe some restraints on, on swell height or something like that, like if you, in this particular instance, if it's above a certain thing, you just don't do it. Maybe it should only be done at low, low tide, you know. Um, Maybe it should only be done in summer. Maybe the wire that's um, round there now could be extended so you could clip on at a safer point. A year 11 Spotswood College student Alex Smart did the climb as part of a topic camp just before the accident. He says he really enjoyed it. A bit scary at one bit going over the keyhole, but yeah, it was really fun. So would you recommend that to other people to do? Oh, yeah, without a chance. I'm always, I would love to go back and do it now.
Did your feelings change at all when you'd heard about the accident that happened there last year? Yeah, oh, I felt a bit sad. Still go and do it. I had the instructor as my instructor, so he that was a bit of a bummer. And what was he like as an instructor? <laughs> he was hilarious. He was a really um, upbeat guy. He was really fun. But if you didn't do the safety right, you'd get a telling off and you'd have to go and do it again and again. Spotswood College has not run outdoor education trips or used Topex since, but the principal, Mark Bowden, has not ruled it out in future. He says the school has been busy reviewing all policies and procedures for any trips done outside the classroom. Rather than dealing with tick boxes and bits of paper, we are really encouraging our school community to take health and safety seriously and to consider all of the eventualities. It's quite a tension really, it's quite a difficult um, line to, to walk because on the one hand we're still wanting to encourage our young people to be involved in the outdoors, we believe that's really important, uh, but on the other hand we need to make sure that they are, are safe in the outdoors. Memorandums of understanding have been put in place with every provider the school is involved with, from equestrian courses to learn to surf providers. Mr Bowden says that clarifies who's responsible for what and when. I think it challenges everybody to ask questions. So it challenges me to ask questions of Topek, it challenges the board to ask questions of me, it challenges the teacher on the camp to ask questions of the instructors. Phil Gayton is a PE teacher at Spotswood, another who helped get Topek established, and has been responsible for enacting the school's safety changes. The centre was set up by Taranaki Schools to provide specialist outdoor instruction and has had 30,000 students go on courses. He says pre-planning is more detailed now and staff can override instructors. When our Year 13s went on a leadership course in February, it was a crappy day and as part of one of the challenges they had to do an activity that involved water and it got colder and colder and colder and we had a memorandum of understanding but during that activity one of our staff perceived that some of the kids were getting cold and said to the instructor this activity will stop so he then overruled the instructors and that's new that wouldn't have happened prior yep. to this yep. So he, yeah, so he stepped in. But does that throw the whole balance of who's, who's actually leading a trip, though? No, because I guess in the end, and Mark would correct me, that the students are our responsibility, even though we take them on a camp. Taranaki high schools, including Opunaki High School, continue to use Topek and remain highly supportive of the centre. Year 13 students Tara Potter, John Hooper, Gemma Gray and Thomas Bell have taken part in the Hillary Challenge, a secondary school's adventure race held over five days. At Upunaki Lake, where they do kayak training, they say outdoor risks need to be managed. I mean, it definitely is risky, but you just... You do it the right way. Yeah, you do it the right way and then you... It's fun, yeah. yeah. It wouldn't be as fun or like challenging without the risks. Like you need the risks to be able to have the fun and the excitement and the. And I've never felt like I'm gonna hurt. Oh, like, I've never really felt I'll hurt myself or anything too hardcore if I would listen to the instructors and try my best to be yeah safe myself. But knowing that you you know that things can go wrong and they do. Yeah, like everyone that goes out understands what they get into.
and we all work together to minimise that and have a good time. Really. Do you think about things differently after hearing what happened last year at Paratutu? Never yeah, stopped or slowed me down from what I've been doing. Like, as you think about it a bit more, some of the things you do, but everything I've always been involved in has always been pretty safe, so, yeah. Do you think that there should be some activities that you shouldn't do in school groups that perhaps are too risky? I think, like, you need to think about the level of, like, the group. Say for us, we're quite experienced, so it wouldn't really... Yeah, I think... For school groups, then yes, just because there's different levels of abilities. Their outdoor education and PE teacher, Matt Lash, who's also on Topek's board, says the school and the centre have reviewed systems and there's less of a Shelby Wright attitude. The learning will be ongoing. There'll be obviously lessons around the, the planning side of things, what, what level of information is passed out to people. Obviously their own personal systems for each of their activities have been revised and, and constantly upgraded, as they always are. Obviously it's a tragedy to lose three people that's, that's going to be with them for forever. But I think the, the, the worst thing would be if they just shut down and stopped offering the programmes that they do. Taranak would be a lot worse off for it. Mr Lash thinks the deaths in 2008 during a flash flood in the Mangatapopo Gorge while on an outdoor pursuit centre trip, in which a coroner says complacency and an underestimation of risks were factors, also resulted in changes. There were definitely lessons to be learnt from that too. I'd say minor changes at our school and across the country, you know, some changes. I think outdoor education centres got a big wake up after that. I know OPC did, Topek were always very good and have changed things since then as well. But what changes have been made since the canyoning tragedy in 2008? Mike Boys says there's been four sets of multiple fatalities on outdoor trips in the last 13 years, all involving water including drownings on the Waihau River in 2000 and the Clarence River in 2001. So it's not a rare event. I think we got better at it after the two in the early 2000s and the Ministry of Education set up systems to address safety and quality of teaching in the, in the schools and I think that actually did quite a bit. But the problem with the free market philosophies running schools is that there's not a centralised body that can actually make this stuff happen. So safety is left to the schools, to the providers to look after. And we know with a, with a lot of free market models, if we look at the, at the coal mining tragedy on the West Coast, you can't really rely on the free market to provide for the public good or for safety. And so I think in some ways we, we've slipped off the pace a bit with our safety, the way we prepare for safety and the way we deal with it. New regulations are about to be introduced by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, requiring all adventure tourist operators and outside providers to be certified and audited. Although both the Taranaki and Turangi centres had passed audits prior to the accidents, the Ministry says auditors will also be audited and that will raise the bar. Professor Boyes says the regulations will help read out rogue operators. But when we look at our last two sets of multiple fatalities, namely uh, Mangatapopo and uh, Mutu, then they weren't caused by rogue operators, but rather they, they happened in uh, highly professional providers, uh, Topek and the Sudman Hillary Outdoor Pursuit Centre. So that problem that that registration solves wasn't relevant to these two sets of fatalities. But having said that, I think it will help tighten safety in general. He advocates more investment from the Ministry of Education and using school advisors experienced in local conditions, which used to be the case. 
Liz Tevnard is the Chair of Education Outdoors New Zealand, the body responsible for professional development and training for educators in the outdoors. She says more professional development is happening, funded by Sports New Zealand, and the Ministry of Education reviewed its guidelines for education outside of the classroom in 2009. But she says outside providers and teachers need to work closer. There needs to be time set aside to make sure that the teacher and the outside provider are walking the same line. The outside provider then knows what the expectations are of the teacher, what the aims of the program is. The other thing is that as an outside provider, often you, you don't know the kids as well as the teacher does, and that can be a disadvantage where you're actually taking the students in more difficult terrain. So that liaison, that time spent getting to know the kids and getting to know what the teacher is aiming for is well spent. Education Outdoors advocates lower risk activities. Now we don't say don't ever do any outdoor pursuits because that's not what, what we're saying. If we're doing higher risk activities, the kids need to be confident and competent at knowing what's expected of them, what the environment's going to be like, what clothes they need. They've got all the skills that they need so they know how to use ropes or they know how to use paddles. And that, that, that takes time, and the time therefore needs to be allocated to make sure that those students are well skilled in what they were expected to be undertaking. At the centre of the debate about safety in the outdoors is how much risk should students be subject to. The adventurer Graham Dingle set up the Outdoor Pursuit Centre in Turangi, which Topic is based on. I met him at the Foundation for Youth Development in Auckland that he co-founded. Hi, Julia. Hi, how are you going? Good to see you. <laughs> Thanks. He believes adventure activities fall into two main categories where people jump out of planes or paraglide or something like that. It's absolutely commercial. The other aspect is the aspect of developing young people through adventure activities, which is generally done by not-for-profit organisations. So they're often cash-strapped, and I think sometimes as a result of that they are going to try and take shortcuts, but intrinsically the whole business is always going to have an element of danger because you can't absolutely control the weather and conditions. Mr Dingle says often risk can be perceived as being high when it's actually low. The game should be giving young people an adventure where they perceive the level of risk is quite high but the instructor is saying it is absolutely safe. Take rock climbing, for example. The general public might look at rock climbing per se and say that's a really dangerous activity. But when you're instructing young people, they're always secured to a rope. The rope is always coming from a strong anchor at the top of the climb, and there should be no chance of the young person coming to any harm. Vicky Adams was a director of Topic for two years when it started in 1987. She, like many, believes personal growth can't be gained without risk and pushing oneself. 
even when you've taken all the precautions and you've ticked all the boxes and you've been filled in all the forms and you've checked everything and in your mind you know what to do and what are the precautions and the equipment to take and things, there are still things that you can't predict might or might not happen and you cannot always control the elements. I mean, nature is nature and nature is a very powerful force compared with, with human power sort of thing, so you have to, you know... <laughs> Bear that in mind. But some outdoor educators are questioning the ethos that riskier activities are needed or desirable and say there is no evidence it aids young people's learning. Mike Brown has been an outward bound instructor and is now a senior lecturer at Waikato University in Sport and Leisure Studies. He says although it's appealing to do an activity that creates an adrenaline buzz or thrill, it can inhibit learning. Now if you put students in a situation where there's risk, and they need specialist equipment, you can't allow them to experiment or to make decisions because the consequences of getting it wrong can be quite serious. So what I'm advocating is an approach which says, let's uh, use an outdoor environment or go into an outdoor environment, provide students with challenging experiences, which are challenging in a whole lot of different ways, emotionally, mentally, ability to, to display resilience, without necessarily having a high degree of physical risk. Mr Brown says a big shake-up of outdoor education is required to prevent further fatalities. You know, since 2008 there's been two events in which 10 people have lost their lives on outdoor education experiences and, and that's just not acceptable. We wouldn't expect our students to be going to school, to go to drama class and to not come home. So there are very serious questions that should be asked and it's more than just how do I improve my safety management system it's about why am I doing these activities in the first place and is this the best way for students to learn? And, and that's the question that every parent should ask. With him overlooking a sports field at the university is Nārua Wahia high school PE teacher Tarina Ranui, who's worked with him on a research project. She describes the way she used to take outdoor education. We would go away to a facility. It didn't really matter where that facility was and they would provide a sort of a standard adventure-based learning program that would spiral throughout the week uh, to culminate in some sort of mini-adventure. So the problem we found with that was that many of our students were finding that the activities themselves weren't stretching them as much as they would be doing at home. So we of course have a train bridge that goes through Narawahia um, town and a car bridge and they would jump off that. They still do, it's illegal but they still do. And then they would go and put a harness on and probably go about a third of the height and they were like, oh stink, we're not even as high as <laughs> is the train bridge and we're all harnessed up with, with helmets and then we had to try and um, get this learning out of those opportunities and because it was so activity driven it made it really difficult to transfer that back into the classroom. Her students now have to plan and carry out a 75 kilometre journey down the Waikato River organising food, places to stay and ensuring it's safe. It's definitely less riskier, in fact most of what we do is would probably be considered low risk by the time that we add a safety boat because we come down on the walkers. But otherwise we're on we're showcasing the river so we'll come on and off on scooters, on the river trail that Hamiltonians do every day. They run it, but they love it. For some it's physically demanding, for others the administration and the collaboration is demanding. Are there any of them that say, Oh we still we want to do something that's a bit more thrilling or a bit of a buzz attached to it? You know, I've never had that. 
Mr Brown says risk is different from challenge. Often if you go to an outdoor instructor, they'll say what young people need is more risk, or how to manage risks. The question might be, you know, is it what they need is more challenge in their life? What's authentic challenges? And I think Tarina's detailed how you can provide authentic challenges, which just requires them to display resilience and decision-making without risks being involved. So, you know, young people look for challenges, and they will rise to those challenges, and they can learn by engaging in those, and they don't need to be risky for students to learn. So let's distinguish in between a quick thrill involving a risk and sustained challenge and application and the requirement to display resilience to get a task finished. That's what young people need. That's what most parents, I think, want from the youngsters, is the ability to stick at something and, and, to, and to take ownership for it. Furthering this approach is the Perry Outdoor Education Trust in Hamilton, which assists low-decile schools with their outdoor programs. The manager of the trust, Karen Singers, says its emphasis is about getting young people in the outdoors doing things that are low-cost, don't require fancy equipment, and they can do in their own time later. We don't encourage doing activities that have to have high levels of instruction expertise because that's the whole point of, of teachers if students are forming relationships with an instructor they're not forming that relationship with their teacher we want them to be able to go back to school and that teacher goes when I, you were on camp you did that, so, that was amazing whatever you did and I'm so glad that I got the opportunity to share that with you the big fear of all those spoken to for this programme is that Paritutu and other high-profile accidents will stop young people from getting into the outdoors at all. Mike Boys believes that may already be happening. My feeling is we're seeing a retrenchment of practice, so there's less done. Schools are saying, wow, can we take the risk here? These are programmes that cost money. They take teacher time and energy that teachers have less of, and should we just drop it? I think that pressure is there, and I think we... Every time we have one of these tragedies, I think we're going to lose more and more programs. The Spotswood Principal Mark Bowden says getting young people into the outdoors is crucial. There's never been a, a more important time where we've got to get kids in the outdoors. In a time in, our, in human history where the challenges around the environment may determine our viability as a species, we actually have to get the kids into the outdoors. We, how can kids understand the importance of the environment and the fragility of the environment if they don't go out into it? Bruce Gede believes outdoor activities are important if done safely and urges parents to find out what their children are doing. Ask as many questions as you want, read as much as you can, make sure you go out on their website. Everything that they do should be transparent on their website. And if you have any questions, you ring them up and ask, and if you're not happy, don't send them. Are there particular questions that you know now to ask that you didn't know beforehand? Questions that I'd be asking is proof of their, um, their safety procedures. What, what I've learned about what's happened is they had a safety procedure, but it was totally irrelevant for the event that they were going around. It did not reflect what conditions they were going out on. The centre, which has refused to speak publicly, has admitted it failed to ensure the safety of an instructor and students in its care. It will be sentenced in the New Plymouth District Court on September the 6th. An investigation by the Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment has yet to be released. I'm Juliette Larkin and that's Insight for this week. If you'd like to contact us, you can send us an email to insight at radionz.co.nz or send us a tweet at rnz underscore insight. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philippa Tolley with technical production by Jeremy Veal.